Acts 13, 30, verses 32 to 41. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, it says, You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the, whole, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So, is, so it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. So the second reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. So if you're looking for 1 Samuel, it's before after Joshua judges Ruth and before Kings and Chronicles. So, <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, starting at verse 6. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt unto this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king, he said, This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. Here ends the reading. Well, thank you for having me here this morning. 
Uh, some of you will know that uh, I was a student assistant here for three years, 92 to 95, so it's a familiar church to me. But a lot of new faces, so and a lot of faces I forget the names. So Again, that, that must be my age. I'll, I'll use that as my excuse. Well, if we come to God's word, let's just bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, again we thank you and praise you for your word to us. We're born again of that living word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who applies your word to our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, you would give us open hearts, listening hearts, open minds to that you would speak to us through the ministry of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that our word, your word points us to the person and work of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May we see in him the answer to our prayers, the future. May we see in him uh, our hopes and our, our joys. We ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, while we're starting in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we will wander through First and Second Samuel, looking at a few points. So let's go back in time about 3,000 years. As you know, that's the time of King Saul and, and David, the shepherd boy. And there certainly is some history that's worth noting about the rise of kingship in Israel. As we just read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the elders of Israel came to Samuel and asked that they would have a king. They wanted, them, they wanted him to appoint a king over them. And Samuel was displeased and he thought at first that they were rejecting him as their leader. But the Lord spoke to him, as we read in verse 7, the Lord says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And God then told Samuel that ever since he, that is God, had, had rescued Israel from Egypt, they'd been in rebellion against him. And through Samuel, God warned Israel of the problems that an earthly king would cause. And if you read through the, the books of Kings and Chronicles, you can see the problems that kings caused to Israel. But the people, back in First uh, Samuel 8, the people insisted on a king. Verse 19 and 20, they said to Samuel, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. See, Israel wanted to be just like the nations that surrounded them. And with their request then they truly do show that they have rejected God as their king. And yet, hadn't God led them? Hadn't he fought them in all their times of trial? Yes, he had. God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them to the land of promise, to Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. 
the rich and prosperous land. And and really God had told them that they were to be separate from the people of of Canaan. In fact, they were to drive out the Canaanites, the, the pagans with their idolatry and their uh, ungodly practices. But now Israel wanted to be like their neighbours. They wanted to be just like the people around them. It's almost unbelievable when when we read about that. And yet whenever we reject God as king in our lives, our response is very little different from from that of the Israelites. And we say things like, we don't want to be too different from our neighbours. I suppose that's part of what peer group pressure is about, isn't it? And in our rebellion, we want what the world wants. Our neighbours set the standard for the way that we live. And we want to rule ourselves. In truth, I think we want to be king in our own kingdom. Though God didn't remove his guiding hand totally from Israel, he did let them have their way. Foolishly, the people asked for a king, and it wasn't long before they got exactly what they wanted. They got the king they deserved, Saul. God appointed Saul to lead Israel. And Saul did lead Israel for some 42 years. And and for part of that time, Saul had success. He and his army defeated some of the nations that were surrounding Israel. But then Saul acted foolishly. Saul offered sacrifices to God, something that only Samuel was authorised to do. Then he spared the the life of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. In doing so, he disobeyed God's word to him through Samuel the prophet. And we read of God's judgment on Saul in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And it was clear to Saul's servants that, yes, from time to time, Saul was deeply troubled as that evil spirit tormented him. Meanwhile, Samuel anointed David, whom God had chosen to be Israel's new king. Back in chapter 13, verse 14, Samuel had warned Saul that he, Saul, would be replaced by a man after who'd seek to honour God, a man after God's own heart. We read the words there of Samuel. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. It's always dangerous when God lets us have our way, have our own way. The danger is that we too will come under God's wrath. And we read of God's wrath of, against sinful rebellion in Romans chapter 1, particularly verses 18 to 32. And verse 18 
headlines the significance of that passage. The Apostle Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In Romans 1, Paul points out that no one can claim ignorance before God and yet even today people suppress the truth. When I say suppress, I mean they know the truth but they deliberately choose to disobey. They deliberately choose to rebel. At the risk of being too bold, I can say that every single person on earth knows that God exists. The problem for some of the atheists is who, who know well that God exists, the problem is that they don't want to live God's way. They want to choose to live their way, their sinful ways, their rebellious ways. People like that refuse to see God's work in creation. So we have that old debate, creation versus evolution. In Romans 1.24, we read the result of this willful rebellion against God. And this is one of these scary passages in Scripture when we read that God removes his hand, his guiding hand from people. He hands them over to their own sinful desires. We read there, verse 24, Romans 1, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Isn't that scary? Does it make you tremble the thought, if I really rebel against God, that God will remove his hand from me and let me have my way? It's really a picture of ancient Israel, isn't it? He's let them have their way. They've got the king they deserve. Well, the rest of Romans chapter 1 outlines the consequences of continuing in sin. When we give up on God, he may well let us have our way. Verse 32 of Romans chapter 1 gives us the consequences of never turning to Christ, never looking to Christ, to see him as our saviour and, and lord. Read that verse, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. I'll say that again, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. These verses in Romans chapter 1 are, are, are a sad and terrible judgment on our society today. We cannot expect God to bless us while we continue to spit in his face. The moral degradation of our society is a consequence of ignoring God. And if we encourage people in their sin by legislating for abortion on demand or euthanasia, or gay marriage, God, God will not bless us. 
God isn't stupid. He, he will not and he cannot overlook rebellion against him. Well, God sought out David, this man, this young man after God's own heart. And even today, he looks for men and women who, are, who seek him with their heart. We read in Jeremiah that if we seek God with all our heart, we will find him. In 1 Samuel 17, we have this well-known account of David and the Philistine giant of a man, Goliath. And uh, I'm not preaching on that this morning, but it's interesting to read about Goliath's armour and weapons. Three times in chapter 17, we read about Saul's spear. And think that this this huge man Goliath is preparing us for the way that Saul would treat David. Goliath represented all that stood opposed to God's people, Israel. And in time, Saul and his spear came to represent all that stood against, against Israel's future king. I'm just thinking in the first place of David. And it seems that for Saul, Saul and his spear were rarely apart. Even when he was asleep, even when Saul was asleep in the army camp, there was his spear stuck in the ground right beside him, near his head. Whenever an evil spirit would come upon Saul... He was driven out, driven out of his mind. And on those occasions, David would play his harp and sing to him to soothe his troubled spirit. Listen to what would happen, though. First Samuel chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. We, we read of a similar event in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 19. Later, Saul even threw his spear at his son Jonathan when Jonathan spoke up for David. In those days, you really had to watch out for Saul's spear. Did David strike back? Did David try to kill Saul? He had opportunity on several occasions. We read about one of those times in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. Saul had gone looking for David, wanting to kill him, And David had taken shelter in a cave. Saul entered that same cave in order that he might relieve himself. And at that time, David's men urged him to kill Saul. David couldn't do it. Yes, Saul was a bad king. Nevertheless, David could not kill Saul. Saul was the Lord's anointed king. 
Well, you know what happens that in, in God's good timing, David became king over Israel. And remember again that David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. And God used David to largely unite the 12 tribes of Israel. And David came to reign over a rich, a prosperous and largely united kingdom. But there was something of Saul's character in David. One day from the roof of his palace, David saw the beautiful Bathsheba bathing. This was Uriah's wife. David lusted after her. He sent for her. He slept with her. When she fell pregnant, David arranged for her husband to be killed in battle. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 15, David wrote these words to the commander of his army. Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. In plain language, the writer of 2 Samuel tells us about Uriah's death in verse 17 of chapter 11. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite was killed. He died. Where was David when Uriah was killed? Shouldn't David have been there leading his army? David was at home in Jerusalem. And there... Bathsheba soon ended her time of mourning for her dead husband. David took her to be his wife. We know what God thought about David's behaviour. Chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, verse 27. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Well, Israel got what they wanted God, however, did not let their rebellion frustrate his purposes. God's purposes cannot be frustrated. In fact, God had earlier told the people what an earthly king would be like. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 20, God had set out the duties of a king and that one of those duties for the king was to carefully read God's laws for kingship and to read them every day. Clearly, David failed to do what God commanded. David failed just as Saul had failed before him. And yet God promised to maintain a king in the family line of David Second Samuel chapter 7, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, God says to David. Your throne will be established forever. Treachery and rebellion still dogged the kings of Israel. 
One of David's sons, Absalom, conspired to be king. And David was forced to flee from Jerusalem because of Absalom. But it wasn't long before Absalom was murdered by Joab, the commander of David's army. Here then is a tale of three kings. Two of them, Saul and David, were anointed by God. And then Absalom sought to take the kingship by force. And all three, was two kings and one pretender, all three were really stained by the same problem, sin. But God was faithful to his promises and in time David's son Solomon became king, king of Israel. You know what happened? Solomon, in later life, turned away from God He was led astray by his many wives who served foreign gods. And yet God was faithful. God was still faithful to his promises to David. I said earlier, read through the books of 1 and 2 Kings and you'll see what they were like. Most of the later kings were not good. Even Hezekiah and Josiah, two of the best, failed the Lord. And the list of Israel's kings is really a list of one failed man after another. And reviewing Israel's kings, we long to read of one who would be faithful to God. We long for a king to come in in David's line who would be good and upright. But how could this ever be? All the earthly kings failed God. They failed at some time or other. How could God continue to maintain his promises in the face of that rebellion? No earthly king could ever be perfect. But in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, we read of the one true king. And unlike the appointment of these earthly kings, the angel Gabriel announced his birth. Gabriel is speaking to a young girl, the Virgin Mary. Gabriel says, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father and he will reign in the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Unlike all earthly kings, the Lord Jesus came as a servant. That's the prophecy we read in Isaiah 42 verse 1. The Lord God is speaking saying, Here is my servant. Whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. This servant language is the way the Lord Jesus describes himself. It's quoted in the prayers that John brought to us earlier this morning, Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. All earthly kings have their weaknesses, past, present, maybe even into the future. Ultimately, they fail God, but God's promises are yes and amen to us in Christ Jesus, our King, our Saviour and our Lord. In Christ we see God's eternal kingdom. We have a righteous king. We read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Revelation, the Apostle John has a vision of the Lord Jesus and we read in verse 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 11, that the Lord Jesus is called faithful and true. It's the Lord Jesus who is the commander of God's armies. He's the true king who rules over the nations. And we read in chapter 19, verse 16 of Revelation, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. But we don't see him in that way just right now. In fact, we don't really see him at all. Furthermore, a little bit of Saul clings to us like glue. Remember Saul became angry when David was praised for his success and Jealous of David, on on many occasions Saul tried to destroy David. If we're not careful, we can be like Saul. The spears we throw are the words and deeds that are designed to hurt others. Or we may not set out to kill, but those angry, hateful words we use Seek only to destroy. David also had his problems. We considered them. Even though he loved God, David failed God on many occasions. Adultery and murder stained his reputation. Lust and greed stain us today. Yet there's some, yes, you see, there's something of Saul in David and There's something of Saul and David in us. Yet both Saul and David were appointed by God to rule over Israel. Absalom, David's son, the contender for the throne, Absalom sought to to take the kingdom by force. He wanted to depose his own father as king. Absalom really combines the worst of Saul and the worst of his father David. And yes, there's something of Absalom in us too. We want to be ruler of our own lives. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? Our our hope is sure, our hope is certain in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we trust in him, we have that wonderful assurance that he lives in us by his spirit. 
Yes, we want to be like him. But we fail. We're like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he speaks of the good that he wants to do and cannot and the bad things he does not want to do, that is what he does. And then he cries out, Who will rescue me from this body of sin? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? And immediately Paul concludes there with a doxology. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. David fought Goliath. But it was not in his own strength. He said to that Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Let's face it, you and I are not in the same league as David, as King David. We're no match for the evil that stands arranged against us. We can only have victory, victory over sin, with help from our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read read earlier from Acts 13, verse 38 and 39, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him everyone who believes is set free from sin. So watch out for Saul's spears. Dodge them. And don't don't seek revenge. And with God's help, don't throw spears yourself. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can be so much like that the your, your, your apostle Saul and When we examine our hearts, when your Holy Spirit examines our hearts, we see how much we fall short of your glory. And we want to cry out with Saul how wretched we are. And we want to cry out who can rescue us from this body of sin. And then we lift up our hearts in thanks and praise for it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who working in us to make us more like Jesus. Who is working in us as our sanctifier to make us more and more godly and holy. That we might live lives that please you and bring honour and glory to your name. This is our prayer, and we bring it to you in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.